Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Come on in for an evening of poems and stories about the American West. A land of legend, of romance, of friendship and courage. A motherload of remembrance. A true showcase of the Old West with the old cowboy, J.C. Holsey. Welcome, folks, to episode 57 of the Wild West Showdown. You know, I've been getting some emails lately telling me how much they enjoyed the show. Have you done that yet? Have you sent an email to us and told us how much you enjoy the show? Telling us how much you enjoy the show is what keeps us going. So why don't you grab a pencil and paper so you can write down our email? Go ahead and get it while we listen to this country music. This is Joni Harms singing, Let's Put the Western Back in Country. Could someone tell me where the western went? Did it stray from the herd like some poor doggy that wound up tangled in a barbed wire fence? Was it traveling on a stage out of Denver that never made it into Santa Fe? Put the western back in the country Hello out there, we're still here We ain't dropped off in the ocean, not yet Rode off in the sun and disappeared Let's put the western Let's put the western 
it's your choice. Won't you listen to the voice of the sons and daughters of the pioneers? Whoopie tie, whoopie tie, whoopie tie, whoopie Thanks so much for that, Joni. You know, that's exactly what we're trying to do here on the Wild West Showdown. Trying to combine the two, country and western. Did you get that pencil and paper like I asked you to? That's good. Now write down this email address, jc at theoldcowboy.net. Let us know how much you enjoyed the show. Let's listen to a little poem by J.R. Olson. Little Shack Out Back. An important room in any home. Ours was not even inside. It was out behind the shop. We placed it there to hide. Just a little shack with a bench. It wasn't built for looks or show. It was our lowly old outhouse, a shelter when we had to go. Well now, ours was a toehold. But when I am on the throne, I always felt it kind of private, and I prefer to work alone. When the neighbor's sons came over, it sometimes turned into a lark to draw a line in the back so we could see who made the highest mark. It had become somewhat twisted as we moved it from hole to hole, a door that wouldn't quite close but still performed its role. It had a broken window pane, in winter it blew full of snow. You had to brush the seat down before you could sit and go. As I gained that icy patch, I kinda wondered if I might get excused from school if my buns got frostbite. And when I think about it now, would Sears have thought it outrageous if he'd known about his catalogs and how we used the pages? That old shack is long gone, and that is a progress gauge. But you haven't lived at all until you've used a glossy page. Cowboys came from many different backgrounds and traditions. Some young cowboys grew up around cattle on western ranches, while others had run away from home or crossed the ocean in search of work and a new life. African American, Native American, Hispanic, and even English and Scottish cowboys worked side-by-side side with native-born cowboys on the plains ranches and cattle drives. The many faces of the cowboy reflect a more colorful, authentic story of the West than the homogenized image created by novels and movies. For young cowboys, working cattle wasn't just a job. It was a lifestyle, one that was lived in the freedom of the outdoors and most of the time on horseback. Though the seasonal nature of his work might require moving from ranch to ranch, the cowboy could always expect room and board plus his wages. Pay on most ranches was about 25 to $40 a month. The quality of a ranch's bunkhouse and chuck wagon grub often determined how long a cowboy stayed on a particular spread. By reputation, cowboys never walked if they could ride, so their saddle became one of their favorite possessions. Over the course of 150 years, the shape of the western stock saddle adjusted to the needs of the men who worked cattle from a horseback. The classic American stock saddle of the 1850s through the 1870s evolved from saddles developed by the vaqueros of northern Mexico and California. The saddle had to be a comfortable and secure seat for riders who spent long hours on horseback. The development of a strong pommel or horn and more secure rigging made the western saddle a working platform for roping cattle. 
Shape and decoration varied according to regional styles or to the amount of equipment to be attached. By 1900, the western stock saddle had evolved into a distinctive, colorful ranching heritage of each region of the country. As important to the cowboy as the saddle was, was his lariat. There were numerous styles and materials, linen, horsehair, women's hair, grass, and leather. But the fancy braided rawhide ropes made by the late Louis Ortega are considered the finest in the world. Even the cowboy's clothing reflected his outdoor lifestyle and regional and cultural background. Freshly creased or crumpled, the cowboy hat is recognized around the world as a symbol of the American West. Where they lived, the environment, and weather often dictated a cowboy's clothing. The type of brush or foliage a cowboy encountered in the course of his work, for example, determined the style of his chaps. By the 1890s, commercial products like Stetson hats and Levi Strauss denim overalls were marked specifically for the working cowboy. Now let's visit with our guest. We want to welcome to the Wild West Showdown today, Arthur Stephen Wilson. Welcome, Mr. Wilson. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you were born, where you grew up, and where you're living now. Well, I was born in Detroit, Michigan. And my family moved to Arkansas when I was about 15. I've been in Little Rock, Arkansas ever since. So uh, this is home now. Very good. I understand you not only write books, but you also write screenplays and even won some awards for that. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, unfortunately, they were never produced, but the American Film Institute did a couple of readings of my my screenplays. Um, One was about a a troubled youth who finds himself through football and um, another one was a comedy and um, you know I've been a writer all my life either writing in the corporate world or you know trying my hand at creative writing and um, I've written you know local university has produced some of my plays and you know so it's, it's just something well you know I mean you've got so many books out yourself that it gets in your blood and and you have an idea for a story and and you think well if i don't write it who will and the characters in your stories won't leave you alone until you do it will they no no sometimes i wish they would (laughs) but uh yeah especially three o'clock in the morning (laughs) yeah can you explain the difference between writing a book and writing a screenplay sure a screenplay to a great extent is a lot easier than a book a, you know, a screenplay is mostly dialogue, and I, I don't know about you, but when I think of a book, or when I'm trying to create a book, I, I play it out in my head almost like a movie. But in writing, you've got to set the scene. I mean, there's no camera shooting the visuals, and you had better be able to describe very succinctly where they are, what they're doing. And a screenplay is like interior, the Wilson living room day and maybe a line of description of what it's like. But then it's all dialogue. And dialogue is is fun. It's it's the movements of characters. It's describing a scene that you really uh, take some time. Mm-hmm. Do you still write screenplays? Haven't in a while. I may get back to it. I've been involved in this Western series for a while. And I wrote a mystery just before I started on the Western series. And, you know, I sort of go with an idea. I come up with an idea, 
and it suggests the genre, it suggests the medium that, that it should be in. And the thing about Amazon is that it allows people to have access to your story, whereas in a movie screenplay, there are gatekeepers all over the place, and you may be writing it for the shelf in your den because it's never going to see the light of day. I like my stories, and, and I've gotten favorable reader reviews, and so it encourages me to keep going. If you didn't get any recognition, if you couldn't sell one copy of your book, would you continue to write? That is a great question. I, I can't honestly answer that. Because part of the pleasure is knowing that other people are getting pleasure yes, from your is. work. You know, I've written some short stories that I'll probably never do anything with that I enjoyed. But to write a novel, to write that many pages, it's, a, it's hard work, as you know. Uh-huh. And I hope that I write something that is entertaining and people enjoy because that's the fuel that keeps you going. It is. And, and I don't know that it was a hard question to answer, but I think all of us, even the ones that aren't authors, we're always looking for approval from somebody. We're looking for that pat on the back. And I understand exactly what you're saying because it does make us want to do more and better. Yeah, it does. It's, it's like if you feel like you, you've got a gift, no matter what it is, woodworking, writing, to have people appreciate it, that is a, such a, a unique pleasure. It is. It definitely is. You also won some recognition for your mystery, The White River Killer. Tell us about that. Well, The White River Killer takes place in Arkansas, and it concerns a, a troubled young man who is a farmer who, when he was 12 years of age, his father was killed by a mysterious sniper who fired through the windshield of his father's truck and killed him. And ever since that time, there have been rumors in town that perhaps his mother and uncle were involved in some sort of illicit relationship that led to the murder of his father. So he's been tormented by that. And he became something of a brawler, defending his mother and his uncle's honor. But he's still, he's plagued with Doubts. He became alcoholic for a while, and, but then he finally gets his life together. Then there's another murder in town, and he makes a part-time living as a reporter for the weekly newspaper. And against his better judgment, he covers the story for the local weekly. He discovers that there's circumstantial evidence that leads to his uncle. And so he becomes driven to find the killer because... If his uncle is capable of one murder, then perhaps he's capable of two. So he continues on despite threats to his life because he knows that he could finally find out the truth or may find out the truth about who killed his father. Even though that might destroy his tentative recovery from alcoholism, he has no other choice. He has to keep going. All right. You you write screenplays, or you did write screenplays. You've written mysteries. You said something about corporate world. Do you also write in, in uh, the corporate world? Yeah, I've been in corporate communications for 30 years or so. Okay. And just doing a lot of that kind of writing, corporate business writing. Now you've decided to take a step into the Western market by writing two Western novels about the outlaw Frank Palmer. Is Frank Palmer a real outlaw or is he just a figment of your imagination? He's just a figment. I sort of developed the idea as a, as a cross between, I don't know if you remember the old TV shows, The Rifleman and The Fugitive. 
And the concept is when Frank Palmer was 12 years of age, his, his mother and father were killed during the Civil War when they were on the wrong side of the fight in Missouri, and they burned their house down. And his father was a locksmith teaching his son the trade. And so the outlaw, Sam Coulter, sees a lot of advantages in having a locksmith apprentice in with his gang. So he takes the young Palmer in and sort of teaches him the ropes. And the, the young boy has not a lot of uh, choices in his life. So all of a sudden he becomes the safe cracker for the gang. And at about age 19, as the first book starts out, he uh, and the gang are running from the posse from Fort Smith. And they stumble upon a scene where some Indians have been massacred. And there's only one surviving Indian baby who's wrapped uh, in a blanket in a tent. And the gang wants to continue on. And he says, no, I cannot leave a baby to die. And it will expose to the elements. And he says, I'm going to take this baby to the nearest town and just drop it off. And But one thing leads to another. And the posse is coming back and forth between the wagon train. So is the cavalry which is searching for the Indians who are now on are seeking retribution for what happened to their hunting party. And so he grows attached to a young young girl on the train. So what he has to do is make a choice. When the Indians surround the train, does he take off or does he stay to help defend them and save their lives? And he decides to stay. The story is about him beginning at that point to change his life. It's a complete story unto itself. And the second story takes place a few years later and now he's in redemption california and he's still hiding from the law he's a rancher but the Coulter gang his old gang uh, which had been laying low for a while because they had gotten some money and um, but now they've blown it and so they've become active again creating new interest in frank palmer who has a wanted poster out for him as a 19 year old the pinkertons are after him and the Coulter gang although they don't know he's where he is are randomly coming south trying to head for the Mexican border in California to try to get away because they've gotten too hot. They all sort of collide in that town. And it's about him, again, trying to save his identity, coming face-to-face with the Coulter gang, and then also trying to fool the Pinkertons that they've got the wrong man. And so in each book, the story gets a little bit more complicated, and his life gets a little bit more complicated. But each one resolves within itself, and, and the third one, which will be coming out in about a month or so, continues on with getting involved and, and then also trying to protect his identity. Okay. What are the titles of these books? Well, the first one is called just simply Redemption, a Western. The second one is The Hunt for Frank Palmer. And the third one is going to be called Frank Palmer, Lawman. Okay, how far are you into it? You said it's going to be in about a month to be released? Yeah, I'm finishing it up, but I'm excited about the third one because I built them into a scrape that, you know, for a while there, I didn't even know how he was going to get out of it. But I finally figured out a way, and I think it's a very exciting book, and I think readers will enjoy it because I try to make it realistic and just a fast, fun read. Okay, you just said something. You didn't understand how it was going to end or how it was going to turn out and you said you figured it out now let me ask it this way did you figure it out or did frank palmer figure it out oh that's a great question and you know what i would say frank palmer exactly 
figured it out. I know what you're saying. I, I tell folks, I just grab onto my character's shirt tail and hang on, wondering where he's going to take me. Exactly, because I have learned how Frank Palmer thinks. Mm-hmm. I know when he's shy. I know when he's bold. I know when he's tired. And so he he just says, wait a minute. At this point, this is what I'm thinking. And I say, okay, let's go with that. It's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, and that's when the characters become real to right, you. Right, it mean, is. And that's when you know you got a good story, when they start taking over. Right. They all stay true to their character because they won't let you go astray. If you listen and you let the story tell itself, right. I think you are a hundred times better off than forcing a story to fit some theoretical mold that you might have of where you want to go. Right, or trying to follow an outline. Right. Are you married? Yes, I am. I have a daughter uh, who is 16 years old, and she is the light of my life. Right. Do you think maybe she may follow in her dad's footsteps as an author? She already is. She's going to a writer's camp right? this summer for Great. high school girls, and she also writes for the school newspaper. And so I think she inherited some of my writing genes. I hope it works out good for her. Sure. Okay, let me ask another hard question. If you had to choose between screenplays, writing for the corporate world, mysteries, or westerns, could you make a choice like that? I know it would be novels. The choice between mysteries and westerns is difficult because they both have their appeal to me. You know, I grew up with westerns on TV. I mean, they're ingrained in me, and I like the facet of westerns that there's nobody to call when you're in trouble. You had better figure it out. And that's a unique time in American history. My great-great-grandfather came to Arkansas on an ox cart from Tennessee, and sometimes you wonder, do I have that kind of stuff in me? He, he did it just because, well, we have to go to Arkansas, and here's the ox cart, and let's go. Yeah, now they do a television documentary about this incredible feat that somebody did, but back then they were just doing it every day. Was there someone or something in your life that made you decide to become an author? You know, the first time I really thought about writing was when I was in ninth grade, and we had an assignment that to write about the origin of the Latin gods, uh, and the Roman, like Dionysus and all those folks. And, and I wrote a story that was funny. When they, I was reading it aloud, they were laughing so hard. I thought, this is so cool. You know, I like that, entertaining people. And there is nothing better than putting a smile on somebody's face. Did you go to the Saturday matinee as a kid? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Did you want to be a cowboy? I wanted to be Flint McCullough. Wagon train. Mm-hmm. I thought, what a wonderful job. <laughs> I didn't fully realize that uh, that job wasn't available anymore. There, there's something about the, the Western concept of riding to a different town and into a different story and mm-hmm. to different people that's so compelling for a writer. Okay, let's say we could we could have a time machine right now and we could go back to that time. What what occupation do you think you would like to be? Knowing my skills and abilities, I'd probably be working for the town newspaper <laughs> rather than being a gunslinger or anything like that. I'd, but I'd be writing about it, so I'd okay. be part of the process. Do you have a publisher or are you self-published? Oh, I self-publish. Okay. How do you handle your marketing? Do you have a plan? Do you have a publicist? Or do you just take it one day at a time? I've hired Nick Whale to help me sort of publicize the Westerns because I decided, you know, I need some help. I have no clue. I'm like most writers. 
I'm just throwing my books on the stack of books on Amazon and saying, fend for yourself. And really nowadays, the really successful authors know how to use Facebook marketing and they know how to find avenues that that work through the web to draw attention to a book. And you really need that. You, you just can't trust out of the million books on there that people are just going to find you at random and make you a star. And Nick's been very good in helping me, and I, I highly recommend Nick Whale. Okay, very good. How about advice for somebody that wants to be an author? My advice is be prepared to write a lot of books. You're not going to do it with one. You better love writing because that's what you're going to be doing. You're going to write them, and then you're going to write another one, and then you're going to write another one, and then you're going to write another one. And that's how you become successful as a writer. How can folks get in touch with you? Are you on Facebook, Twitter, and so forth? Stephen Wilson, author. And if some people could come by and like my page, I would love it. Great. We've enjoyed having you on the Wild West Showdown today, and I want to give you an open invitation to come back and visit anytime you want to. Thank you. I would. I, I enjoyed myself. I enjoy your podcast very, very much. Thank you, sir. And thank you for talking with me today. All right. Here's another song. This one by Templeton Thompson, Guardian Angel. She could have passed for a cowboy the way she carried herself. And that 50 pounds of leather Put it up on that pony Light as a feather Like she'd done it all her life And she asked if I was ready Handing me the reins And we started out walking Up until that morning She hadn't been much on talking Guess it finally come the time And she said I've learned more from the back of a horse than most folks ever get to know You never really know what you're made of Till you ride out on your own And you, baby, don't worry I know you're gonna be just fine Remember to hold on tight And never ride faster than you guardian angel can fly I remember what she told me It's as clear as a bell As it was on that morning It was kind of like a blessing and a warning I've carried all it on to my daughter She loads up her car Heads out of the driveway She'll have had enough Of doing things my way It'll be her turn to fly And I'll say I've learned more From the back of a horse Than most folks ever get to know You never really know What you need of Till you ride out on your own Ooh, baby, don't I know you're gonna be just fine And ooh, don't be in a hurry Feel it when you hit your stride So don't get rattled 
it deep and sad Remember to hold on time And never ride faster than your guardian This episode of the Wild West Showdown has been brought to you by Outlaws Publishing, LLC. Outlaws Publishing is a publishing house that wants to help you publish your book and enjoy that feeling of becoming a published author. But I don't write westerns, you say. Not to worry. Outlaws has several subsidiaries to publish any genre except erotica. So you can stop searching for a publisher that will treat you right. Outlaws Publishing will treat you right, guaranteed. Send an email to jc at outlawspublishing.com. Let us know you have a story that you'd like to have published. Now, why don't you slide your chair up real close now, because it's time for some cowboy wisdom. Now, this here is something that you need to remember. A bumblebee is a lot faster than a John Deere tractor. Thanks so much for tuning in today. And don't forget to send that email to jc at outlawspublishing.com or jc at theoldcowboy.net. Let us know that you listened in today. This is the Old Cowboy saying adios and happy trails. Come on back next week to the Wild West Showdown with the Old Cowboy J.C. Holsey.